It's hardly a coincidence that the strangest pass ever thrown in the history of the Super Bowl was launched by, who else? A kicker. It came near the end of the big game in 1973, the Miami Dolphins versus the then Washington Redskins. Miami was already leading 14-0 and looking to add a field goal to put the game out of reach. Instead, Washington defenders poured into the backfield and blocked the kick, sending the ball careening backwards. There, it was scooped up by Miami's kicker, a 5'7 immigrant from Cyprus named Garo Yepremian, who, soon after arriving in the United States, had watched a few minutes of a game on TV and decided right then and there the way he would succeed in America was to play professional football. At that moment, on the run for his life, with the ball in his hands and only a vague idea of what to do next, Yepremian threw the ball up for grabs, a peace offering of sorts, to the pack of scarlet and gold-clad wolves pursuing him. Then, he batted it into the air a second time, after his first attempt slipped from his hand and wound up back in his arms. The errant pigskin was eventually corralled by Washington safety Mike Bass, who returned it unhindered up the left sideline for a touchdown. The last player to wave him on by was, who else? Yepremian. That legendary Super Bowl moment became the jumping-off point for the movie Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and was immortalized in a song titled The Lonesome Kicker by comedian Adam Sandler. Kicking can be so very scary, Sandler sang, especially if the returner breaks on through. I'm the only guy on the playing field left to tackle him, and I don't want to get hurt, so I pretend to tie my shoe. All these years later, too many fans and even some teammates can't shake that image from their mind. They still regard kickers as do-nothings or outsiders at worst, and necessary evils at best, which is strange when you consider the name of the game. Many, including NFL players, have a hard time considering kickers as actual football players. Why doesn't football have more love for feet? Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. Usually, when you're talking about the biggest names in sports, Those superstars have something in common with each other, regardless of the sport. For example, let's look at the following names. LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Gretzky, Babe Ruth, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Barry Bonds, Ty Cobb, Pele, Michael Jordan. I'm sure you've heard of at least one of these guys. Not only are each of these some of the most prominent figures in their respective sports, but they are also among the highest leaders for points scored in their sport. 
runs and RBIs for baseball, goals in soccer, goals and assists in hockey, points for basketball. You get the picture. Now let me run a few more names by you. Adam Vinatieri, Morton Anderson, Gary Anderson, Jason Hansen, and John Carney. Some of these names might be familiar, but chances are you've never heard of them if you aren't more than a casual fan of football. The thing is, just like the first list of household names I read, these guys are the top scorers of their sport. More specifically, they are the top five point scorers in NFL history. And, you guessed it, they are all kickers. Adam Vinatieri is the all-time NFL points leader, with 2,673 points scored. In fact, all but one of the top 50 point leaders are kickers. The one non-kicker who breaks the top 50? Wide receiver Jerry Rice at number 41, with 1,256 points. The other top points leaders who aren't kickers include Emmett Smith at number 58, LaDainian Tomlinson at number 67, Randy Moss at 72, and Terrell Owens comes in at number 74. So, taking all this into consideration, it's somewhat surprising to learn that only one kicker has ever won the league's Most Valuable Player award. Mark Mosley won Most Valuable Player during the strike-shortened 1982 season, and he is actually the only special teams player ever to win the NFL MVP. What's more, there are just two pure kickers in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at the moment, Morton Anderson and Jan Stenerud. Two other players are in the hall as kickers, but they also played other positions. You have George Blanda, who was also a quarterback, and Lou Groza, who was a tackle. Now, if you want to talk dollars and cents, Justin Tucker, the NFL's highest paid kicker, is making just north of $5 million per year, just a fraction of what the league's top earners are making. And it is definitely not representative of the average kicker salary, which is closer to $1 million. Am I crazy, or do kickers deserve just a little more love for what their feet do in football? I mean, whichever team finishes a game with the most points wins the game, and kickers directly score the most points out of all other positions, and it's not even close. Many games have been won solely with field goals, or with a game-winning field goal as the time expired. The public demands perfection from kickers, and yet gives no respect for the job they do. No other position in sports has more inherent pressure associated with the job that they do and yet get so little credit when they are successful. The simple fact is that kickers do their job, which is putting foot to ball towards targets, consistently better than anyone else on the team does their job. Usually, the lowest-ranked kickers in football have a success rate well above 70%. So, why so little love? Pro Football Hall of Fame historian Joe Horrigan has mused, Maybe because it's a sport we think and talk about mostly in terms of contact and turf, like big hits and big linemen wrestling in the trenches all game. Then, out trots this 5'10", 190-pound guy who can render everything that came before totally meaningless. To some people, Oregon said, that seems all out of whack. 
So there's that too. I mean, even the kicker's helmets look more similar to a toy helmet you might buy a kid on Amazon. And to be fair, you can still pick out kickers in most team pictures with just a quick glance. We also can't underestimate the role that professional football's history has played in getting today's kickers off on the wrong foot. No position in football benefited more than the kicker position from the second wave of specialization that swept over the game during the 1960s. But at its dawn, the modern kicking game seemed somehow unfair to some people, not to mention unmanly and even un-American, feeding the undercurrents of resentment stirred by the fight between the already established NFL and the upstart AFL. Seemingly out of nowhere, a few kickers popped up in the decidedly offensive-minded AFL, and they began sneaking up on the ball, kicking it from the side and using their instep to drive the ball rather than the front of their foot. They were normal-sized guys with foreign-sounding names, like Gogolak and Stenerud, names that hinted at backgrounds steeped in soccer. Worse, they trotted onto the field like soloists in spotless uniforms, leaving little doubt where they had spent most of the 60 minutes while the hand-to-hand -hand combat had been raging. But there was no denying the results that these kickers produced, and kickers were there to stay. Meanwhile, over in the NFL, defense still dominated, and field goals remained an afterthought. In 1965, for example, the Giants attempted 25 field goals and made just four of them, including a stretch where the backup QB slash kicker, Bob Timberlake, went zero for 15, and he somehow hung on to the job. That's because Timberlake, like the other players who handled the kicking chores, had full-time jobs too. Some were running backs, like the Packers' Paul Hornung, or tackles, like the Browns' Lou Groza, who became specialists after their first career path was blocked by their advancing age. They were already in the huddle when it came time to kick, and these kickers were just as muddy as everyone else in the frame. They approached the ball directly from behind and used only the toe of their boot to propel it forward, the way their predecessors had been doing it for decades. In the intervening years, the talent pool for kickers in the United States grew wider and deeper. The same kids who once watched the Gogolak brothers and Yepremian went on to play soccer and attended football camps that specialized in kicking, with weight training and conditioning squeezed in between kicking exercises. Up-and-coming kickers got more repetitions, better coaching, and much better pay. And now they've become so good connecting on field goals from ever-lengthening distances in all kinds of conditions. League-wide, the average conversion rate was well over 80% last season for field goals. Jason Hansen, a retired NFL kicker, has made the observation that the expectation has changed in the league. If they put you out there, you're supposed to make it. All of a sudden, a 48-yarder has become like a 32-yard field goal. And as a kicker, I'm like, wait a minute, this is way different. Close quote. Kicking has advanced by leaps and bounds since the 1960s, thanks to the combination of bigger athletes and better training, equipment, and techniques, all of it backed by the kind of money, resources, and attention to detail that was once reserved for America's space program. 
and therein lies the rub. They've gotten so good that with a few exceptions, most misses come when kickers are asked to do something that's simply beyond their physical capabilities. Once upon a time, coaches didn't give ridiculously long field goal attempts a second thought. But now, more and more, coaches will approach the kickers in crunch time expecting a miracle from these guys. And with the entire game riding on a last-second kick, guess who gets left holding the bag for that loss when the miracle doesn't happen? Linemen lose their grip, quarterbacks slip, receivers drop passes, running backs and return men go down from glancing blows while an open field stares them in the face. But nobody keeps stats readily available on those missed opportunities. Same with defenders. It's easy to find out who led the team in tackles, sacks, or interceptions. But only their coaches know how many more opportunities they missed. And I get it. The kicker position is extremely specialized. They don't need to learn the complex playbooks of NFL offenses and defenses. Their bodies aren't regularly sacrificed to the brutality of the game as most every other position in football. Still, I would be hard-pressed to find a group of sports people who have to motivate themselves to do a difficult job without any of the love and affection that buoys their teammates on the field. Usually, the kicker gets a rub on the head or a condescending tussle of the hair if they have a successful field goal. To quote Sports Illustrated columnist Connor Orr from a 2019 article on kickers, quote, They are these clandestine scientists trotting around different areas of the practice field working on their craft, and big game marksmen who nail massive momentum-swinging kicks with stunning regularity, all while in near isolation, with every eye on the stadium fixed on them. It is their task during the week to try to fix tiny biomechanical quirks in their body that end up having a major impact on their leg swing. This is the kind of work that pitchers and three-point shooters do and get deified for. No kicker will ever reach the status of a Tom Brady or Odell Beckham Jr. anytime soon. And that makes sense. But by that same token, couldn't we give credit where credit is due to the kickers? the leading point scorers in a sport called football, who do something that is extremely difficult. After all, isn't true greatness really the result of consistently doing small things in a great way, rather than just doing a few great things? 